Welcome to the EggerSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. My name is Nisha Rose Davison and I will serve as today's moderator. Uh, before we begin with the presentation, I have a few brief announcements about um, upcoming webinars, a little bit about AgriSafe, and then how the rest of the time will go for this hour. If you are not familiar, uh, AgriSafe Network's tagline is protecting the people who feed the world. Uh, we accomplish that through four distinct methods. Um, uh, focusing on a total farmer health model, um, working in partnership with nonprofit organizations, um, other um, NIOS research ag centers, and then um, always focusing on a um, farmer position of organizational readiness. So being responsive to things like COVID-19 pandemic and worker safety um, information, as well as looking at things like uh, weather threats for, um, you know, if a farm floods or what happens if you're an outdoor worker in um, a wildfire area, you know, how to protect worker safety. So we look at all of those types of things. And then lastly, also um, working to educate and provide training for rural health providers who are working with our ag workers. So today's presenter, um, he's been with us uh, for quite some time for a number of years doing these OSHA-based trainings. Um, so Dan Neenan is an MBA and a, and a paramedic. He also serves as the director of the National Education Center for Agricultural Safety. Um, and that's just a short list of, of titles for him. He's also a, a firefighter too, and an EMS instructor. Um, he's currently a member of the Iowa Propane Board and the Vice Chair of the Dubuque County Emergency Management Commission, and he also serves as Treasurer of the uh, Dubuque County EMS. So again, he wears a lot of hats, but is well familiar with the instructor role. And with that, I am going to switch over to our presenter, Dan Neenan. All righty. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, coming to you from uh, beautiful downtown Piasta, Iowa today. And uh, again, hope you're having a great day. A lot to cover in the 50 minutes that we have left. Uh, so we'll go ahead and we'll get started. All righty. So NECAS is a partnership in safety and health uh, between the National Safety Council and Northeast Iowa Community College. Uh, we sit on 12 acres on the NICC Piasta campus. So a little bit about us, that's our mission statement up top. Uh, to date, our trainings have saved 23 lives nationally. Now, when you teach safety, that is always the hope um, that you're doing that, but it's very hard to quantify. Uh, when you teach rescue programs, that's a little bit easier to quantify. So those 23 come from grain bin uh, rescues that fire departments that we've trained uh, that have used that training to go on and rescue somebody out of a bin. So our facilities, again, sitting on 12 acres here in Piasta, Iowa. So we also take everything on the road with us. So, so this is what we're gonna chat about today. I, so as we take a look in agriculture in uh, 2019, um, ag had 573 fatalities, which was down one uh, from 2018, uh, but it had a fatality rate of 23.1 deaths per 100,000 workers. Now remember, ag covers forestry, fishing, and hunting as well, uh, but you can see it was the most dangerous industry in the United States during that time period. We're always a full year behind, uh, so the 2020 numbers will probably come out in December of this year. So nearly 300,000 women serve as principal operators on over 62 million acres of land, accounting for almost $13 billion in agricultural products sold. And that something I think that takes folks by surprise. Uh, they don't think that the number is quite that high. Okay. But training on the proper handling of anhydrous ammonia is very important, um, you know, due to recent industry concerns. 
with double tank configurations and the size of equipment, we're seeing more anhydrous releases. Uh, there's also issues with excess flow valves not shutting off when a release occurs. And depending on the temperature and size of the valve, um, it makes it difficult for farmers and farm applicators to shut off that tank when they leave. Uh, so I think you probably saw in the news two years ago, I think there was a double nurse tank that was being towed through a community over by the Chicago area uh, that was leaking as it went through. And over 30 folks ended up being hospitalized for that. So it can occur um, you know, in the more urban areas as these tanks are being delivered out to the farmsteads. Okay. So the OSHA exemption, of course, uh, farms are exempt from there if they employ 10 or fewer employees at one time. And remember, family members of farm employers are not counted uh, when that. Uh, but if it comes down to a court of law and there is not an OSHA rule that's applied for agriculture, typically the OSHA general duty clause will be used in moving forward. Okay. So the general duty clause requires employers to furnish each employee a place of employment that's free from recognized hazards. Okay. Um, it's used to cite employers for recognized hazards when there's no direct standard that applies to that operation. And if there's not a standard which directly involved agricultural operations, typically, again, it's the general duty clause that will be the default that gets looked at. Okay. Several states have OSHA state plans, 22 states, as a matter of fact, covering both private and state and local governments and six state plans that cover only state and local government workers. So you need to take a look at your state and figure out if it has its own state plan, which may supersede what some of the national OSHA guidelines are that are out there. So when we talk to farmers that are exempt, I like to use the word best practices. Best practices and OSHA standards really look similar, uh, you know, and how we're doing that. Um, but in reality, it is the best practice to make sure that you are not injured during the course of your workday. So again, if you're operating in a state approved plan, you need to look at what the state requirements are, which could be different than federal OSHA. So 29 CFR 1910-111 is the storage and handling of anhydrous ammonia. Uh, it's an efficient and widely used source of nitrogen fertilizer. Anhydrous has several advantages, including its relative ease of application and readily available. However, there are some potential dangers that we need to be worried with, okay? Anhydrous means without water, okay? So anhydrous is attracted to water, so the moist areas of the body, which include the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the throat, and the genitalia, are typically areas that anhydrous is attracted to and can cause injury to. So it needs to be stored and handled under high pressure, requiring specifically designed and well-maintained equipment. In addition to ensure worker safety, workers must be adequately educated about the procedures and the personal protective equipment required to safely use this product. So farm vehicles um, need to conform with state regulations. But remember at this time of the year, um, I saw my first couple uh, anhydrous tanks being delivered yesterday in the early morning and into the late evening when the temperature drops below freezing, that water can freeze. So a lot of times, um, you know, the co-ops may be leaving that empty. So if you get anhydrous tanks delivered out to your business location, you're gonna to wanna to check and make sure that there's water in there or to be able to get water in there uh, before they get put out to use. So the hoses have a strict five year from the date of manufacture, not from the date that they were placed into use, but five years from the date of manufacture. So on all hoses, you will have a stamp on there as to when it was manufactured. And again, for the valves, there are a list of, uh, of the regulations that are there. And again, this will be available for you to be able to get and go and research that, okay? So training. The employer must ensure that the unloading, unloading operations are performed by reliable personnel instructed and given the authority to monitor the careful compliance with all applicable procedures, okay? So the PPE is gonna need to be provided for all folks who come in contact with this. And we'll get into the specific PPE 
So anhydrous is a chemical compound, okay? It consists of one atom of nitrogen and three atoms of hydrogen. So that's where you get the NH3 from in the name. So that's the chemical formula to be able to do that. Anhydrous means the ammonia is without water, which distinguishes it from ammonia water solutions that are out there. And remember, when it's without water, it's desperately seeking water. And as a human being, we're made up of about 70% water. So you can see that anhydrous is attracted to us, okay? Anhydrous will remove the moisture from anything it comes in contact with. Uh, it's even been known to remove the inflation from a dollar bill. So as you take a look at that dollar bill, did you know that there was that much moisture in the cloth of a dollar bill, okay? Now, I show you this, I don't want you to go out and sink a dollar bill into anhydrous because of the dangerousness of it. There have also been people that have received burns because they've taken that dollar bill and folded it and put it in their pocket, okay? It still has that anhydrous properties on there, which can burn the skin. So anhydrous has a very characteristic odor to it. It's very strong odor and it's one of its strongest safety features because it really, it, it bites at your nose when you do that. So it's a clear colorless gas um, at standard temperature and then the pressure causes it, um, you know, to go into that liquid form. Uh, it's liquid when it's compressed or it's cooled. At a concentration of only 50 parts per million, one sniff tells us what's in the air, um, detectable by most folks. Stored under pressure to prevent vaporization so a large volume can be available for use. Anhydrous is not considered to be flammable. However, it will um, ignite. So you never want to weld on a closed container of any kind. All containers must be completely cleaned and vented. Apply heat only to containers that include piping, okay? So it's classified by the DOT as a class 2.2 non-flammable. Unfortunately, this classification, you know, leaves two important um, hazards of anhydrous out there that we need to take a look at. Not only will it burn under certain conditions, it's classified as a caustic corrosive liquid and a poison gas uh, in other parts of the world. So US manufacturers uh, identify it as being hazardous uh, by flammability, toxicity, and corrosive. So the nurse tanks. Uh, so with the nurse tanks, they need to be identified in the front and the rear and both sides with the words anhydrous ammonia in letters not less than two inches tall. It needs to be placarded in the front and in the rear and on both sides with approved DOT green diamond non-flammable gas placards. 1005 is the uh, number for anhydrous ammonia. It needs to be marked that it's an inhalation hazard decal. And again, those need to be two inch letterings on two sides and it needs to be equipped with a legible data plate. So it needs to have all of those uh, to be able to go down the road. So your placard, this is an American Society of Mechanical Engineers standards uh, as to what's on there. And again, goes through some of the same things that I talked about. And you can see the data plate that's there. If the tank is missing its data plate, that tank needs to be taken out of service. So your toolbars. Inspect the coupler for debris and all moving parts and valves for smooth operation. Close the flow valve before you connect any of the hoses and make sure the hoses are the proper length so they don't drag, get pinched, or get torn during the turn or pulled out of a fitting. Never wrap your safety chains around the hose. You always wanna hook the safety chain up to the drive gear, uh, whether it's being towed by the tractor or by the toolbar, uh, whether you're in the field or whether you're on the roadway, you want those safety chains put on. We just wanna make sure that we don't put them around the hose of the anhydrous tank, okay? So a couple things to know, it's a colorless liquid or gas. It has a boiling point of negative 28 degrees Fahrenheit. It has a freeze point of negative 107.9 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's standard physical temperature is a negative 44 degrees Fahrenheit. So contact with the skin will automatically cause freeze burns, okay? So folks that use it need to have the proper training, need to have a respect for the product, wear protective gear, 
and slow down. Okay, uh, this is something that you don't want to speedily go through the connections with. You want to make sure that you're taking your time and you're doing it right. And of course, we've got a short porch both in the spring and in the fall to get that anhydrous on. Um, so that does lead to, to some folks speeding along with that. And it's something we need to be very careful of. Okay. So it is a hazardous substance. So generally the severity of symptoms depend on the degree of exposure. Symptoms include burning of the eyes, the nose, the throat, after breathing, even small amounts. With higher doses, coughing or choking may occur. Eye exposure to the concentrated gas or liquid can cause serious corneal burns or blindness. Exposure to high levels of anhydrous ammonia can cause death from a swollen throat or from the chemical burns to the lungs. So think about your airway, okay? You know, if you ever have a dry mouth uh, with that, um, you know, your mouth and your airway and your lungs are moist. So that means that that anhydrous is going to be attracted to there. And think of the last time you burned or you cut your finger. Does it swell? Sure, that's a natural bodily function to swell as it heals. Well, if that airway swells, it's not very big to begin with, and it can close off your capability to breathe um, if that swells shut. So again, remember um, with a negative 44 degree physical temperature and a boiling point of negative 28, it can cause freeze burns. These burns can occur instantaneously and it's a powerful alkali with corrosive properties. And because of that, the burns can go deep. Now, if you think about that and somebody has gotten burned and they're screaming at you because it hurts, that's a good thing. That means that it's only a surface level burn. Okay, it's not a full thickness burn. If it's a full thickness burn, it's burned through the nerve endings and typically folks are burned, can't feel it. That's actually a worse burn, um, you know, if you're treating that person. So uncontrolled releases, okay? Um, it can happen uh, with a vessel failure. It can happen with a collision or upset. If the tanks aren't chained, uh, it can come loose or through vandalism or through theft. So unfortunately, one of the other reasons or one of the other things that anhydrous ammonia is used for is the manufacture of methamphetamine. And that causes problems as folks are trying to steal that product. And there's been several injuries with folks trying to get the product out of the tank to be able to use it for some not so positive meanings. So with anhydrous, you know, we need to take a look. First of all, we need to get it reported right away. Um, second of all, from the fire department that's responding, um, they need to take a look at where it's at. You know, is the best thing to try to go in and get that leak shut off? Or if it's out in the countryside, is it best to, to leave it go and just let it vaporize out? So rain will absorb anhydrous and will remove it from the air. Uh, anhydrous is heavier than air and will settle into the lower areas. So if the tanks rolled into the ditch, there's a good chance that the anhydrous is still present in the low-lying areas. We talk to the fire departments all the time about this because you see firefighters getting burns to their feet and their ankles uh, because as they're going down to work on that, the anhydrous is still down in the ditch and can gain access to their skin to be able to do that. So we need to take a look at evacuation. This is gonna all be determined upon wind speed um, you know, and direction to be able to do that. So emergency personnel will advise um, people to leave that area. Um, animals and livestock should be removed if possible. Animals will do their best to leave the area long before the concentrations become strong enough to cause them discomfort. But if they're in a building, or if they're in a pen, they may not be able to get out of that area. And that's something to be considerate of. Always be direction, you know, considerate of your wind direction. Park equipment downwind from dwellings, people and livestock. So when you get those tanks delivered, you know, take a look at where they're going to be parked at until you're going to use them, okay? And we don't wanna park them right next to the farmstead because if there is a leak, that's right where the folks are at. So exposure level, again, 50 parts per million is detectable by most people, really not an injury, but it, it's a nasty smell, people wanna get away. 134 parts per million, irritation to the nose and the throat. So that being said, how long does it take us in a release to go from 50 parts per million to 134 parts per million? Not a lot, 
Okay, and as we move upwards, you can see the serious damage um, that can occur to the body with that. So again, the sub-zero temperature means that it's going to freeze the clothing to the skin. We don't want to try to remove that clothing as it's frozen because it'll take the skin with it. So skin that's chemically burned is killed and it's not capable of replacing itself. The damaged tissue needs to be removed surgically so that the healing process can begin. And the results are often disfiguring from this type of injury. So I believe that was a test question for you as to what to do for treatment. So removing the freezing clothing is not one of the answers that you're looking for there. Treatment of an anhydrous burn. Now, the treatment of an anhydrous burn is the same for the first 15 minutes for a layperson all the way up to a trauma surgeon, okay? So flush with large amounts of water, okay? Carefully remove contaminated clothing if it's not frozen to the skin. So the more water we can put on, we can get that from stop being froze to the skin to be able to get that off. Um, don't attempt to remove any clothing that's frozen and never any creams, ointments, or salves for at least 24 hours. The creams, the ointments, and the salves that we use on a normal burn will trap that anhydrous in the pores of the skin and it will continue the burning process. So for the first 24 hours, we want that anhydrous to evaporate out. So that's why we're using water, lots and lots of water to be able to stop that burning process, okay? Eye injuries with anhydrous. I've been a paramedic now for 27 years, and I think that the most painful injury I've ever treated somebody for is an anhydrous burn to the eyeball, okay? So they are going to want to slam that eye shut because it hurts. As a responder, we've got to get that eye open and be pouring copious amounts of water in there, again, to stop that burning process. So burning will cause long-term damage, cataracts, glaucoma, um, permanent eye loss with that. And if you wear contacts, you never want to wear your contacts if you're working with anhydrous ammonia. That anhydrous ammonia will actually weld that contact onto your eye to where they won't be able to be able to get that out, okay? So again, 15 minutes of water, get professional help as soon as possible. If water is not available, fruit juice or cool coffee can be used to flush the eyes. So most places where they fill anhydrous tanks will have a tub, a tank of water out there. Now in the spring, when they first fill it up, that water's crystal clear, okay? But as it gets toward June and July, it starts growing some green stuff in there um, if you get burned, do you want to be afraid of that? The answer is no. You want to get that water on there and stop the burning process, okay? You're going to be given IV antibiotics anyway, so any of that mold or mildew that's in the water will be taken care of through the antibiotics you're going to get. But we need to stop that burning process before any more long-term damage can happen. So, a lot of folks will carry uh, water with them. Some folks will carry like a little ketchup or mustard bottle in their pocket that has water in it. Um, you know, or again, the saddle tanks on the side of the anhydrous, if you're out in the field, will have water in it, okay? So carry at least six to eight ounce squeeze bottle of fresh water at all times. The small amount of water will last only long enough to get to a large amount. And it may be the difference between blindness and having sight from this type of injury. Again, the entire respiratory system is moist, so high concentrations of anhydrous can cause severe respiratory irritation, chest pain, pulmonary edema, and death. So we wanna be able to breathe as little of this as is possible. So of course, we wanna to move to fresh air. So if you know the wind direction before the emergency, you know which way you need to go. If breathing has stopped, okay, perform CPR. And if oxygen is available, administer it and contact your emergency medical services. So again, if the scene is safe, make sure the victim, one victim does not become two or more. So you don't become a victim as well. And again, no creams, no ointments, no salves to your patient. 
Children, of course, are much more vulnerable. They've got a smaller body size, okay? So when we start talking about burns in the medical world, we start talking about the rule of nines. So your, your body is a surface area and percentages of body surface area on the rules of nines are what's there. Well, a child's body surface area is much smaller, which means their head and their chest account for much more of their body surface area that we're talking about. So don't allow children as passengers for transporting or applying anhydrous ammonia. So the PPE, as we take a look at this, a full face respirator with an ammonia cartridge and pre-filters, cotton lined rubber gloves when connecting or disconnecting nurse tanks and applicators. The gloves aren't necessary for escape for a sudden release, but they will provide skin protection. And we wanna cuff those, okay? Not to give you the Michael Jackson look, but if you get anhydrous as a liquid on those gloves and you reach up to do something, that could you know, dribble down your arm and get into your sweat glands uh, and cause burns. So that's why we want to fold those over to be able to protect from doing that. Non-vented chemical splash goggles, if a full, fader, full face respirator isn't available, clothing should be heavy duty, tightly woven, and you should wear both long sleeves and long pants when you're working with that. And remember to always carry a small squirt bottle of water to dilute or wash off any anhydrous that may come in contact with your eyes or your skin. And it can be small enough that it can be carried in your shirt pocket. So only unvented goggles will minimize anhydrous exposure to the eyes. Pesticide type vented goggles are not suitable because anhydrous can pass through the indirect vents. So never use open vented shop goggles. And again, contacts can become fused to the eye. So you don't wanna wear contacts as you're dealing with the anhydrous. So due to the caustic effects, gloves should be used when handling anhydrous. Suitable gloves are made of rubber, which is impervious to ammonia and cotton line to protect your fingers from the freezing due to the cold. Suitable gloves will have long cuffs that could be turned back to prevent the drips from running down your arms when your hands are elevated. And the fit should be loose enough for easy removable, but snug enough for good protection. Remember to wash your gloves after every use and keep the gloves in functioning condition. So if you see them starting to crack, okay, my recommendation is don't just throw them away, but actually cut the fingers off before you throw them away. Um, I work with somebody who believes things go beyond their lifespan, so it wouldn't be a surprise for him to reach in the trash for something that I've thrown out and for him to use it a while longer. So if that's the case, if you're getting rid of it because they're cracked, cut the fingers off so nobody can pull them out and begin using them again. Even a small blast of anhydrous can be extremely harmful to the skin, the eyes, and the mucous membranes of the nose, mouth, and throat. Worse, inhaling anhydrous vapors can result in death. A full face respirator with ammonia cartridges and pre-filters gives you the most protection and the best chance of escaping an anhydrous ammonia release. That's why it's important to always keep one easily accessible in the tractor cab. Like with all safety equipment, respirators must be properly maintained and cleaned, and the cartridges and pre-filters must be replaced regularly to ensure that they're gonna have that proper function for you. And unfortunately, many facilities have respirators but do not fit test their employees. Remember, anybody with facial hair can't pass a fit test. And I run into this with fire departments all the time, people who want a fit test uh, with facial hair and you cannot get a good tight seal on your respirator if you have facial hair, okay? And I've had people argue with me for that and you can't do it. And basically, you know, if you're going into a burning building or you're dealing with high concentrations here, you're taking your life into your hands with that. So you wanna make sure that you're clean shaven. The other thing is um, I live out in the country, so I carry my fire gear with me and we fit test every year. Last year, um, I failed my FIT test three times in a row and had to get a new face shield. So I carry my face shield with me in the bed of my pickup truck. So that means all summer long, when the temperatures are in the 90s, it's under the black tonneau cover of my pickup truck. It's a lot hotter there. And the reverse in the wintertime, it's cold, okay? So it was not pliable anymore. It did not, 
seal on my face. So I had to get a new mask. So that's why it's important to yearly to be able to do those fit tests and make sure that you're ready to go. So it's extremely important, but it's limited uh, equipment that is available. So a two cartridge respirator is effective for uh, levels less than 300 parts per million. The canister type uh, may be effective for longer periods at higher concentration, but without skin protection and walking through that cloud is not advised. And a self-contained breathing apparatus, which supplies the air and is sealed and a protective hazmat suit are required uh, for dealing with escaping from clouds of anhydrous. PPE for women fits differently, okay? So a woman needs to make sure that she is getting PPE that is designed for a woman, okay? And you can go to the AgriSafe store. They have equipment that's available for you that is sized to fit. So as you can see here, you want it to be lightweight, okay, or lightweight thin fabrics will not slow down or prevent anhydrous ammonia from passing through. So because of anhydrous spray causes a freeze dry like effect on frostbite when it hits the skin, clothing should be heavy duty and tightly woven fabric. Lightweight thin fabrics don't slow down or prevent anhydrous ammonia from passing through. So if lightweight thin fabrics are worn, freezing and chemical burns may occur in an anhydrous release. So a proper shirt is also long sleeve, tightly closed at the cuff and collars. Pants should be long and closed toed shoes, preferably steel toed boots should be worn. So we wanna keep our PPE in a clean, dry place, okay? So mounted um, in safety containers, mounted on each nurse tank, accessible from the ground, have another set of goggles and gloves ready for use in the tractor. And again, water, water, water. So one short flush is not sufficient. We need to have copious amounts of water. You can use other non-toxic liquids such as cold coffee, orange juice, nearby ponds and creeks. Um, so during freezing weather, have an extra five gallons of emergency water available in the tractor cab to be able to flush any anhydrous burn that you may receive. So five gallons flowing through a pencil sized stream will last you approximately seven minutes uh, to be able to work through and to be able to do that. And remember in the spring and the fall when there's freezing temperatures in the morning and in the evening, um, we need to make sure that there is water there to be able to make that happen, okay? So we wanna give medical care for the victim. So emergency and first response should include other measures designed to mitigate or reduce the impact of an emergency situation. Most of these steps are low cost and take little time. Young beginning workers should become familiar with the emergency preparedness methods uh, that have been taken onto the work site, okay? So a lot of folks will have rented locations or farms that they have purchased that are not part of the home farm. It's important to know the address or the 911 sign for those locations because it can shorten down the time that it takes for emergency response to be able to find you. So you can't dial 911 and say I'm at the old Joe Smith farm. Years ago when each small community had their own 911 answering center, folks would know where that's at. Now it's based off of GPS. So your street address or your 911 sign. So if you have multiple locations, okay, here's that low cost thing that I wanna offer you, get a pencil or a pad of paper and write down the address of all the locations of the properties that you own and you rent, what their street address is, what the 911 number is, and if you call it the old Joe Smith farm, whatever the case may be, that way in an emergency, you've got that and you can call out and reduce the amount of time that it's gonna take for folks to be able to find where you're located at. So again, hitching equipment, um, may increase the risk of being run over by tractors and other farm machinery. So be extremely careful if you're helping to hitch the implement, don't get caught in that tight location between the two. Remember to hook safety chains every time, whether you're in the field or you're on the roadway and make sure that the hitch pin has a safety pin attached to it and the safety chains are crossed and secured before you take off. You always wanna perform that walk around inspection. Again, 
looking at the safety chains, um, but also if you're towing two tanks that are between the two tanks, plan a route that avoids populated areas if possible and try not to do it, you know, in the morning and the evening rush hour uh, to be out there with that. We had a case not too far from here um, where as the fire department rolled up on scene, it was a minivan with soccer balls on the back of it, which tells you that it's a mother and kids uh, that hit that anhydrous tank. So, you know, we, we need to take a look and make sure that, you know, we can take routes that hopefully we're not gonna be in a lot of traffic. So again, each state has its own regulations, so you need to be familiar with your state, and I believe that was a quiz question earlier. Uh, nurse tanks pulled on roadways are covered by federal and state DOTs. So we need to be able to, you know, know what the federal standards are, but then know what our state is as well. Violation of a DOT regulation can result in a $10,000 per day fine. So your overall length um, may differ by state as to what you can. It's always best if the slow moving vehicles are kept off the roadway during non-daylight hours. So sunrise to, to sunset, unless it's accompanied by a trailering vehicle, okay? So turning distance and stopping distance with the weight is gonna increase, okay? I haven't seen too many anhydrous systems that have trailer brakes on them. And you've got a lot of weight back there, especially if you've got a multi-tank system uh, that it can push you through an intersection and possibly roll you over. So tires used on nurse tanks are designed for low speed travel, not to exceed 25 miles per hour. So some of those tanks travel a long distance and traveling a long distance at less than 25 mile an hour takes a lot of patience um, for the person that's gonna be delivering that. So pre-transport check, hook up the safety chains every time, even if you're in the field. Never wrap the safety chains around the hose. Never park it on the hillside. Check that nurse tank hose. Again, cuts, abrasions, soft spots, bulges. So, you know, basically uh, if you're a CDL driver, does this look a lot like a pre-trip inspection for you uh, to be able to take a look at? Uh, nurse tank hose must be maintained in a safe condition. Uh, under pressure from nurse tanks to the applicator toolbar, the nurse tank hose must be made of approved materials and braiding, okay? So rayon braiding is good for two years, uh, rylon or Kevlar is good for four years, and stainless steel is good for six years from the manufacturing date. So the tank should be painted silver or white to reduce temperature and pressures resulting from solar heating. Valves, orange is for liquid, yellow is for vapor. Um, product can leak from either of those and surface defects reduce the integrity of the tank as the high pressure container is not acceptable. So nurse tank fittings should have an Acme parking fitting to be parked on when not in use. The fitting should be installed in such a position that prevents strain in the hose when it's in park. The pop-off valve should be replaced every five years. It relieves pressure if the tank pressure is greater than 95%. Rollover cage protects the hardware on the top of the tank, and liquid and vapor valves are equipped with slam valves that should slam shut in an uncontrolled release. Things to remember, if that tank is upside down, if it's rolled over, okay, your liquid and your vapor valves are now reversed, okay? If you ever get the chance to look inside of an anhydrous tank, ours is a cutaway that you can see those valves so you can see if the tank is upside down, how that gets reversed with where it's drawing the anhydrous from. Use of a safety clip on the hitch pin when towing on and off the roadway is essential to your safety and to that of the public. The safety clip will keep the hitch pin from working out and releasing the nurse tank. The safety chains help ensure that the vehicle towing the nurse tank will remain in control of the nurse tank even if the hitch pin fails. Check the air pressure of the tires and inspect them for cuts, bruises, and tread wear. Inspect the nurse tank wagon frame for cracks, broken welds, bent members, and the nuts and bolts that are tanked the tank to the frame. Um, they can also loosen and break. And to make sure that the hitch pin is properly sized for the tank that you're towing. 
A breakaway coupler is designed to prevent an uncontrolled release when a nurse tank uh, releases from the applicator and the nurse tank hose separates. It's a spring-loaded valve that closes when the coupler separates from the main body to prevent the anhydrous from flowing out of the hose or the applicator. The breakaway coupler has a service life of three years with a replacement date stamped on the coupler. Never wrap safety chains around the hose. You notice that's the third time I've said that now. Um, that happens. The condition of the applicator knives is important for safety reasons as well as quality application. Knives in poor condition may result in frequent stop for cleaning and unplugging, increasing the applicator's exposure to anhydrous. Plug knives can trap pressurized anhydrous that would be re, you know, released when the knife is cleared. Sagging low pressure discharge hoses are a source of exposure to anhydrous ammonia because of the anhydrous ammonia in the sag will flow toward the applicator knife and be released when the machine is lifted out of the ground. All low pressure tubes on the applicator should be at the same length for a uniform delivery to those knives. Extra hose leaves, extra hose lengths can be coiled and securely fastened to the frame to reduce sagging. Okay. Hoses are five years from the date of manufacture. Valves are also five years for service life as well. Close the valve supplying anhydrous to the line and then successive valves downstream to the disconnect. This approach should help trapping large amounts of anhydrous in the line. Small amounts of chilled liquid ammonia frequently remain in the ammonia pumping even after bleeding the system until all the ammonia is warmed enough to volatilize. So respect of ammonia plumbing and wear that PPE and never assume that a PPE, or excuse me, that an NH3 hose is empty. So again, always have that squirt bottle available, wear your gloves and your goggles, um, have a backup respirator with cartridges ready to go. Always try to work upwind of that anhydrous equipment. Carry the nurse tank hose by the valve body or the coupling uh, rather than the control handle and clean the hose, the applicator connections before you connect them to the toolbar. Hand tighten the valve, over tightening can cause damage. Uh, follow the recommended procedure for connecting and disconnecting. Close the liquid withdrawal valve from the nurse tank that's supplying the toolbar to bleed down the system. Disconnect and secure the hoses from the toolbar to the nurse tank prior to navigating ditches, ravines, or waterways. And again, always attach the safety chain. Shut the liquid withdrawal valve off, bleed down the system, and unhook the hose from the toolbar uh, to the liquid withdrawal valve on the nurse tank prior to entering the field of application. When entering the field uh, from a public roadway, the nurse tank liquid withdrawal valve should be closed and all transfer hoses disconnected and secured. So each tank must have an emergency water supply and placards must be on all four sides of each cargo tank. Remember, braking distances will increase with the added weight on those trailers. And if you're trying to slow down for a turn, it could push you through that turn and into the corresponding ditch. In the event, in the event of a release of anhydrous, uh, equaling or greater than 18 gallons or 100 pounds, the person in possession of the anhydrous at the time must notify local emergency response, emergency management, and contact the Natural Response Center. Failure to properly report a release may result in a significant monetary penalty, and farmers are not exempt from reporting requirements. Okay, So we want to let the fire department get there. They will probably let emergency management know or as you dial 911, they will get a hold of that as well. And then contact your company or where you got the anhydrous from, and they can um, get the information to get to the National Response Center. Theft of anhydrous for clandestine purposes has resulted in numerous leaks and injuries and death to those stealing it. Valves have been left open, locks broken, and improper hoses and containers used for illegal transfer. When it's placed in a portable propane cylinder, ammonia attacks the brass fitting and causes leaks. Stolen ammonia is transported in dangerous conditions, such as in the trunks of automobiles, and this can present a dangerous situation for an accident or for emergency responders. Uh, 
So actually the tank that we use on our trailer uh, was donated to us because as they were trying to steal the tank, it was locked. So they took a cordless drill at night and they went and they found the frost line on the tank and they drilled with a cordless drill above that frost line. And then they slit the tires to heal the tank over. Um, so that tank was damaged in that respect and they took it out of service and we were able to receive the donation for it. Hascom, okay. So that was two years ago's program and you'd be able to find that on the AgriSafe uh, website. Uh, we have an hour long Hascom program for you, what you need to know. And a Hascom program doesn't need to be difficult. You don't need to write a book to be able to do that. So again, take a look at that program. You can look that up on the AgriSafe site to be able to get that. Have an emergency action plan, okay? These incidents can occur. So have a plan. Train your employees on what to do in that situation, phones and radios, and have emergency numbers saved in your contacts of your cell phones. So you need to file a tier three report invite your local fire departments for a visit to your location. If you have anhydrous, encourage local fire departments to patrol the facility, excuse me, law enforcement to patrol the facility, especially during peak times to be able to do this. So in Iowa, we have the Volunteer Firefighters Training Fund and all of our ag rescue programs are covered by that. So we can go anywhere in the state and do an anhydrous ammonia uh, emergency response for fire departments at no charge to them. So what a lot of the co-ops have been doing is they need to have a yearly inspection from the fire departments for their insurance. They invite us out. So the fire departments come and tour the facility and then we do the anhydrous ammonia emergency response training program for them. And typically the local co-op then will buy pizza and stuff for the fire department that come out to be able to spend their time to do that. But an emergency action plan is important in your planning. So safe handling of anhydrous involves prevention, preventing exposure by wearing PPE, having emergency water available for flushing, preventing uncontrolled releases through safe handling, transport, and maintenance of your equipment. Farm workers should know and understand the procedures uh, before they begin anhydrous application. Operators may also want to consider hiring a professional to perform this dangerous job. Um, under federal law, you're, you're entitled to a safe workplace. Your employer must provide a workplace free of known health and safety hazards. If you have concerns, you have the right to speak up about them um, without fear of retaliation. You have a right to be trained in a language that you understand, to work on machines that are safe, and be required the company is required to provide safety gear, such as gloves, harnesses, and lifelines, be protected from toxic chemicals, to request an OSHA inspection and speak to an inspector, to report an injury or illness and get copies of your medical records, to see copies of workplace injury and illness logs, and to review records of work-related injuries at your workplace, okay? So, um, a lot of people think that OSHA is just there to fine a company for not doing it. That's not true, okay? They're there to help, okay? So programs such as this is funded by OSHA uh, to be able to get the safety information out to the people that need it. So they're not just there for fines, okay? That's if something goes wrong, okay? Or to prevent something from going wrong. They're also there to help educate and get the safety information out to the people and to the companies that need it. There is a whistle protection pro program that's out there. There's a website that you can visit on the Department of Labor site to know what your rights are for that. There's also a fact sheet that's out there. So if you do a Google uh, search on whistleblowers, and if you can remember the FS3638, it will pop this up for you. Uh, so you would know what your rights are as a whistleblower. Lots of resources available on the OSHA website. Um, OSHA has a sister agency called NIOSH doing a lot of work as well. OSHA training centers, places like us, NECAS and AgriSafe and your doctors and your nurses have plenty of resources available on different topics. So just like anything, um, this 
program was created with OSHA dollars through a Susan Harwood training grant. Um, but anything that I've said today, okay, uh, the government doesn't claim uh, that it endorses. I didn't use any trade names, commercial or organization with that. So you always have to put that disclaimer out as we're working with that, okay? So here is my contact information. Um, I do wanna put in just a, a couple seconds worth of plug, uh, Grain Bend Safety Week, okay? Uh, this is actually stand up for Grain Safety Week. We're affiliated with Grain Bin Safety Week. So you can go to grainbinsafetyweek.com and nominate your local fire department to be able to win a grain rescue tube and training from us. So last year, uh, there was 41 winners. We were actually able to deliver 21 of them with the pandemic. I've got some that I'm gonna be doing this spring. Uh, we have exceeded our funding from last year. So we're really expecting we're gonna be in the, about the 45, 46 tubes that will be given away. So the contest closes April 30th. It'll take you about five minutes to nominate your fire department and maybe we can come visit you at your location. So Nisha, I'm done now. I will transfer it back to you. I think folks, you'll have a little quiz which is gonna look familiar to you. I wanna thank you for taking the time uh, to take, so Nisha. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for that insightful. Oops, so sorry, can you hear me now? Mm -hmm. um, so um, thank you for those who have hung just over the hour. Mm -hmm. Well, we, have, we definitely appreciate your time and presentation and insight on this. Um, you've seen it from both sides, um, and, and we appreciate you bringing that knowledge today. So, Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the AgriSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. You can learn more about the AgriSafe Network at agrisafe.org and be sure to check out the Learning Lab and all of the excellent resources available on the site. You can also find us on Facebook or contact us anytime at info at agrisafe.org.